Well, it goes deep. A large part of the conflict goes back to the decision of the United States, first by George W. Bush, 2008, then reaffirmed by Obama, to invite Ukraine to enter NATO. Now, no Russian leader is likely to accept that. Uh, Ukraine is far too great uh, geostrategic significance and also historical significance and cultural significance to Russia for Russian leaders, uh, Putin or anyone else, to accept uh, incorporation of Ukraine within a hostile military alliance. Long background to this. Now, this effort by the United States was vetoed by France and Germany, but that didn't mean anything. The United States proceeds with it. Uh, now, there is an agreement, the Minsk II agreement. It's France, Germany, Russia, and Ukraine. If the terms of that agreement were implemented, the crisis would be dampened. It probably would not be taking place. Now, neither uh, Ukraine nor uh, Donbass, the Russian region, have implemented the agreement. The United States has not pressed Ukraine to implement the agreement. So there's problems on all sides. But if Europe had a really independent role in world affairs, it could be uh, acting in such a way as to bring this Minsk II agreement into operation. That would probably resolve the crisis. Uh, there's very good scholarship on this. One of the main uh, scholars of the region, Anatoly Yevin, has just written several articles about it, pointing out in detail how implementation of Minsk II could very likely resolve the crisis. Of course, that would mean withdrawal of the U.S. call for Ukraine to join NATO. It would mean that Ukraine would have sort of Austrian-style neutrality, the kind that Austria had right through the Cold War, not part of any military alliance. Uh, the, uh, uh, it would mean that there'd be federal, some kind of federation in Ukraine, which would provide a degree of autonomy to the Donbass region, uh, demilitarization, a couple of other conditions. All of this is quite feasible, and it's very likely that it would simply end the crisis. That's not what's happening. Uh, the United States, under strong internal pressure from right-wing and also centrist opinion, is moving to towards uh, intensifying the crisis. So is Putin by putting troops surrounding Ukraine, 100,000 of them. But could it, uh, as Yevgen uh, himself says, this is the most dangerous crisis of the world right now, and also the most easily settled. It's both. Uh, now this goes back much farther to the question of the means by which NATO was expanded. You go back to the collapse of the Soviet Union. There were several conceptions of how the Eurasia region should be organized. One of them, which was advanced by Mikhail Gorbachev and by Germany, Hans Dietrich Genzer, the uh, uh, German foreign minister, both of them proposed uh, a kind of Eurasian security system with no military blocks. Okay. So Lisbon, the Vladivostok, singles, the region, no military blocks. Well, that was rejected by the United States. It was actually supported by Germany. A core part of this was unification of Germany, which the Germans, of course, wanted. And uh, the question was how this could take place. Now, remember, for Russia, unification of Germany is not a trivial matter. Uh, Germany alone had virtually destroyed Russia several times during the past century. So for Russia to agree, as Gorbachev did, to agree to allowing Germany to be unified within NATO hostile military alliance was quite a concession. But there was a condition. The condition was that uh, NATO would not expand to the east. Uh, the phrase that was used was not one inch to the east. That meant East Germany. Nobody was contemplating broader expansion, at least in public, maybe privately they were. Uh, well, uh, uh, NATO did advance to East Germany under Bush and under Clinton. It moved all the way to the Russian border, uh, Baltic states, uh, other states, Balkan states. Uh, this is is a pretty, I mean, it could have been done in a way which would have eliminated, certainly eased tensions. There was what was called the Partnership for Peace in the 1990s, which was a pretty sensible approach that contemplated expanding NATO or another general alliance to include the East European states, but to do it in stages with 
varying from country okay. to country depending on the one, circumstances, two, one, two. taking Russian concerns into Wave. consideration, even uh, contemplating bringing Russia itself into this system, as okay. incidentally Putin has suggested. So. Uh, these are all possibilities. They were abandoned were. in favor of what was called the Clinton Doctrine. Let's just expand militarily right to the border. So, hey everybody, welcome to politics, culture, and some other shit on uh, St. Patrick's Day. 2022, don't you know? March 17th. It's not a thing that I celebrate myself. Uh, not for any other reason than... Uh, I just couldn't be bothered. It's like most of you, I mean, most of you will be Irish anyway, so I kind of get, you know, it's that sort of thing. I always remember, you know, do you go out on St. Patrick's Day and I oh, no, I'm not only amateurs go drinking on Paddy's Day. And there is a certain amount of truth to that. You know? That's the sort of night where people that don't drink much go out and they end up uh, getting into fucking fights and shit. So, I'll probably, I might go for a wee pint later on. Although, I do have a drink with me right now. There's my wee pint of Guinness, and I've got a wee dark and stormy. So that's my drink of choice, a dark and stormy and a pint of Guinness. Mmm. Although I can't go mad, because I am working tomorrow. Fucking horse shit. Can't wait to go back to being a full-time musician again. Honest to God. This, uh, getting up at six o'clock in the morning and, uh, it's fucking me up. I'm just, as I said to you last week, I'm not used to it. I know all you guys are. I know what's normal for you. But it's not for me. It really isn't. But uh, no, never mind. Not going to complain, as I said. So, what? So, uh, yeah. Updates. I'll we'll start with the updates. Uh, we've got some gigs coming up. Got my live stream coming up next week. I've got bad news about that. So, I'm going to do a live stream here from the house on Friday. Uh, me solo, doing, you know, doing some stuff. And uh, going to have some mates around in the kitchen. I'm going to do it in the house rather than um, out in the studio. going to have some mates around, going to have some drink. Uh, hopefully have a bit of crack. Um, but I got only got fucking notification last night and it really pissed me off. I had a really long day yesterday. And I was sitting down last night and I checked my email and the service... The middleman between me and the streaming service, you got to go through a, uh, another company. They sent me an email saying there's a problem with your files. They're clipping or the volume's too low. I didn't even, I, I actually instantly enraged me. And, and I went and checked and checked my account. And now I can't actually get the album released on the 25th onto the, on the title. And Napster, as I told you, I was going to do. And I don't know why I'm going to go in after this. I'm going to go and check that out and see if there's anything I can do about it, but I don't think so. But it doesn't matter. I'm still going to do it. It just might be a few days late, but I'll do the gig just to, to celebrate that. But I got, um, but I've still got two sort of exclusives to share with you on the 25th. Um, so I'm doing that song, as I told you, for Sarah O'Neill. So it's sort of written, it's pretty much done. Um, I've got a few cool musicians, my cousin Laura, uh, Joseph Toman, Jeannie's cousin, my girls, uh, Lily and Summer's going to be playing bass on it and what have you. So um, it's really, really beautiful, really kind of sweet wee, wee song. So we're going to be doing, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to debut that, that's the word. And also, uh, my daughter Summer is a filmmaker 
and she did a little video for one of the songs on the album, the last one. It's like the theme tune to this podcast, actually, this song here. There. So she did a little video for that. So I thought it would be kind of cool to do. Just I know it's a year later or whatever, but I thought it would be cool to do. And uh, so she's a busy young woman, and her and her little her and her buddies uh, got to it and threw together just sort of a gorilla in gorilla style. They just went right over and got these cameras together. And my my other daughter Lily, and she's very pretty, and so she's in it. And it's fucking great, and I love it. And they did it really quick. And the thing I like about it was they did it just with what they had, and they did it on the fly. And that's exactly how I wrote the album. There was very little written sort of ahead of time. Normally I would you know, sit down and write a song and write lyrics and pull things in. I didn't. I would come out to the studio. When I, when I was doing the album, I would come out to the studio and just put down a bass line or just put down a synth or a drum beat or just, just try and do little tape loops and stuff. You've heard me talking about this before, I'm sure. And... Um, and I did it that way. Well, they kind of did the same with the video, and it was by accident rather than by design. And uh, I like that. It's it's great. It's a great way of creating. It's a great form of of, of mechanics of creativity. Is that you you uh, you just do it. You just start somewhere and just go and get to a point where you go. That's done. You know, a part of. All you artists and musicians, and if any of you are listening to this, you'll know what I mean. You're your own worst enemy in the set. Sometimes, in the sense that you don't let a project go, you don't just go right. It's finished, or you don't know when to, and you keep editing and editing and editing and mixing and painting over and having another go. And you need to be able to go. That's it. There's a saying: Don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. And I, I, I kind of like that when it comes to making, yeah, art. You gotta be able to go. That's it. It's done. Fucking leave it. Move on. Next. And uh, they kind of did that. They did that, in fact, because because they knocked it out in a day, a day and a half, two days, something like that. So, mm. so I'm gonna debut that video. It's really cool. It suits the music. It's really sort of eighties. It's a, it's we it's art. It's it's a very arty little video. There's no there's no narrative or anything. It's just imagery and it's class. So I'm gonna share that with you next week. And in the meantime, I'm going to work on the streaming services and hopefully kick somebody up the fucking arse to figure out why my record has been delayed. They sent me this conty fucking email, man. It was like, oh, it's not loud enough or it's clipping or it's something that's peaking or something. I can't even, I can't even remember what it was. I was like, oh, yeah, you're just, you're just gatekeeping that because some of the streaming services have specific... It's just, oh, yeah, so it's good enough to get pressed on the vinyl it's good enough to be nominated for an award. It's good enough to be played on the radio and in the on the record players of everyone that bought it. But it's not good enough to stream. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Honestly, you gatekeepy bastards. You gatekeepy bastards. I hate gatekeeping. It's the worst thing in the world. Claiming ownership of spaces and things. You don't own shit, my friend. So, oh, just put my live stream on the thing there. So, tonight's podcast, we're going to talk about. It got, it got me thinking about all this stuff in Ukraine and 
spoke to you last week about, or it was earlier on this week, about um, the context as to why, for why Russia has invaded Ukraine. And as I'm going to say it again, don't be coming at me. I'm going to pepper my conversations with myself and with you uh, with that. Don't be coming at me about Russia or that I'm some sort of a Putin apologist. I am not. They're wrong. Fuck them. Shouldn't have done it. But you have to have context. There are, I'm not going to say two sides to every story, but well, I am going to say that. And they are important. And for you to understand, I what I'm seeing on the, on the media is all ones, very, very one-sided stuff. And that's not to detract from the suffering of the Ukrainian people who are being used as cannon fodder. Cannon fodder, my friends. The Americans are going to fight the Russians to the last Ukrainian. This is what's happening here. So uh, they have my sympathy and all of it. So I'm going to talk about tonight about... Actually, what got me thinking about this, there was a couple of things that happened and I was... Sorry, I'm just moving my mic a little bit if you hear something banging about. Um... I was one. I, I did say it last week uh, or in the last pod. I couldn't understand why Europe, of all places, the EU, Europe, various European countries, why they were having this. Oh shit! I've just said the bloody. I just realised I've set the bloody. What? Public? What are you doing? Jesus. Nightmare. Just realized that it set the uh, the settings on the, the live stream. The private. I didn't set it to private. It's never been private. I never set them to private. It was set to private. I'm going to go with a conspiracy. Okay, somebody's fucking mad to me. YouTube is afraid that my sphere of influence would be too huge. Uh-huh. Keep telling yourself that, Andy. Mm. So, I got to thinking about the European Union and why, not the European Union per se, although the European Union, Ursula von der Leyen, she was the person that shut down RT, the Russian state broadcaster, and all that sort of stuff. Why they, why the countries in Europe are going along with this? It doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, it goes back to that thing that we were talking about with the just, sorry, just turn the music off there. It goes back to that thing we were talking about. That of of all, you seen it in the in the in the news and in the newspapers. They were saying, you know, we're used to seeing Syrians and Iraqis and brown people uh, being set on fire and having to walk fucking thousands of miles across countries and continents carrying babies and everything they own in a bag on their head. But when it's white people, ooh, it's all different. And that shit is still going on. It is unbelievable. It is actually still going on. And it got me thinking about that. And it was a stare on me all week. And I was wondering why Europe and the European countries are going for this. Because it's going to be the biggest loser in all of this after the Ukrainian people is going to be Europe. Europe is going to pay the price for this. 
and why they're lending support to the this American hegemony, which is clearly motivated by motivated to carry out the actions that it is carrying out by the corporate corporations that own the America and large largely the world and certainly control they own America and certainly control large parts of the world and if they don't control it they certainly influence it or are trying to I'm talking about the gas companies, the military-industrial complex, all these sorts of things, okay? So it got me thinking about that, and then it got me thinking about the petrodollar. Then I started to think, a lot of people don't know what the petrodollar is, and I started to say it to a few, and they never heard the word, so I thought, I'm going to show, right, the petrodollar, I'm going to explain what the petrodollar is. Now, I, myself, only have a passing understanding of the petrodollar. So I had to do a little bit of research myself. Now, I do, when I say that, I only had a little bit a little bit of understanding. I know a little bit, but in order for me to explain it to you, I needed to go and do a little bit more research. So first thing we're going to do, I'm going to, give you a definite the definition of a petrodollar i'm going to read it out to you then i'm going to read out a few q a's about real quick real short real quick questions quick answers about uh why is the us dollar backed by saudi oil who came up with the petrodollar when was it all this sort of stuff real quick answers right so it's not, I'm going to try and blast through this so that I can get to my conclusion, right? So let's do it. We're going to start. Definition of petrodollars. Petrodollars may be defined as the US dollar earned front from, sorry, earned from the sale of oil. Let me start, start again. Petrodollars may be defined as the US dollar earned from the sale of oil, or they may be simply defined as oil reserves denominated in US dollars. Now, that's the same fucking thing, right? So, petrodollars accrued to oil exporting nations depend on the sale price of oil, as well as the volume being sold abroad, which is in turn dependent on oil production. So, there's different there's different factors there which affect the, the petrodollar. Uh, the sale, the, 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 there's different factors that affect the sale price of oil. The volume being sold abroad, which is in turn dependent on the oil production. The overall world supply of oil. On the one hand, the world demand. On the other hand, the other on the other hand is determined sooner or later an actual market price for oil, regardless of any administered administered pricing system. So what that says is so Whatever they decide, this is what we're going to sell oil at. But then there's the market on top of that. So the oil-producing nations, they're called OPEC, oil-producing countries, right? O-P-E-C. They determine how much oil they're going to pump out of the ground. Then demand, so it's supply, you're into the supply and demand thing, right? 
they will determine how much they're going to pump out of the ground, how much it gets sold for, but then the market will determine. You end up with a shortage, price goes up, like we have right at the minute. But is there a shortage? So anyway, so the price, a price determined by OPEC can be maintained only so long as there is sufficient demand to absorb the amount being supplied in world markets. If demand exceeds supply, oil will be sold at an even higher price, just as I've told you. Than that determined by OPEC. The opposite holds true when an oil glut occurs. This is reflected by a drop in price after a certain time lag, regardless of the price dictated by OPEC. The experience of the 70s and 80s is no more than the art of microeconomic tools to the pricing of oil in world markets. So do you, are you following what that is? So that's, this is an economics thing from Georgetown University that I'm reading from, okay? But if you can remember, there, to give you a, 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 a more recent example, if you can remember a few years back, Venezuela started really ramping up oil production to try and fuck, or sorry, Iran uh, recently, to try and fuck up the oil markets. And they did a little bit. So they overproduce and then the price of oil goes down. And you must understand that in furtherance to the sanctions that are being applied to Russia at the minute, so a part of that is the gas and the oil that Russia produces isn't being sold to the world that has decided to sanction. And now, and if you listen to the media, the whole world stands with Ukraine. It's, sadly, it does not. And there are many reasons for that. Again, you got to have context. The, wor- the whole world does not. The West does the, in inverted comma, air quotes, the West does Europe, US, Canada, Australia. Africa doesn't. Asia doesn't. And South America and uh, Central America does not. These countries are not getting involved in this. They are not helping in any way with sanction in Russia. And whenever it comes to votes in international uh, in, at, at, at international organizations, they are either abstaining or voting. We don't know, no, no to whatever is being presented. Now, quite often it doesn't matter because U.S. generally gets what the U.S. wants. So, uh, what I meant, what the reason I got started on that point was the sanctions that have been placed on Russia to stop them selling the oil and the gas. They, I told you in the last podcast that oil and gas is still being sold. That oil and gas still goes to the markets. China is buying up whatever it can get its hands on, the wheat that isn't being sold, the metals that aren't being sold, the many... Russia is a huge manufacturing economy, all uh, and it has a huge natural uh, manufacturing economy, resource-rich economy, and those resources are being sold into the world market. So, whenever our prices are going up, at the pump, whenever our prices are going up, when we go to fill our oil tanks or pay for our, our gas to heat our house, it's because we've stopped buying it from Russia. Because it was a part of the European supply. And America is the same. So America, I will I'll read a little bit more about that. They have gone to Russia 
uh, pardon me, to Saudi Arabia and to Venezuela to get them to ramp up their production and they've been told to go fuck themselves, which is fair enough. I'll explain a bit about that. But the reason is because they have stopped this, accepting the supply from Russia, the sanction. Who does that hurt? You, me. That's it. Whenever the production availability goes down, the price goes up. The rich stay rich and get richer. And you and me, being poor is expensive, brother. And we will stay poor and we will continue to pay. Sanctions don't work. If sanctions worked, Cuba should be a capital, it should be the 51st state of America. It's been under sanctions for over 50 years. Hasn't worked. Not going to work. Venezuela has been under some of the worst sanctions imaginable for years. There's 100,000 people have died because of lack of medicines and certain uh, 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 medical treatments being unavailable to them. Nicolas Maduro's government's more popular than ever. And this idea that sanctions actually work is fucking... It's actually... There's a certain amount of... There's almost a racism attached to it because it's like this thing, whenever the West invaded Iraq, you know, these people are going to welcome us with open arms and they're going to, be, they're going to see us as liberators. Maybe a few did at the start. Then we act surprised whenever they turn into, or again, air quotes, dissidents or terrorists, in air quotes. As if when someone invaded your country, you wouldn't do something about it if you were able to. You would be happy to see American tanks rolling down the street telling you what to do. You wouldn't do anything about that. Of course you would. So, anyway, so let's... Roll on here. So, right, right, I'm, I'm going to stop that because that's very economic-y and it gets into the weeds a bit. So, we're going to pass that. So, I'm going to hit you with this Q&A, right? So, who came up with the petrodollar? Answer. The petrodollar was started by the United States in an agreement with Saudi Arabia in the 1970s with the intent of standardizing oil sales and purchases in US dollars. Right? Remember that. That's the first question. Stay, keep that in your mind. There's another bit to that in a minute. When was the petrodollar born? 1970s. When the U.S. reached an agreement with Saudi Arabia to standardize, blah, 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 you've heard that, right? Is oil only sold in U.S. dollars? As a result, most international transactions, including oil, are priced in dollars. So you can see uh, oil exporting nations receive dollars for their exports, not their own currency. In addition, most oil exporting nations own their own oil industries. So the importance of that statement, or that answer, is... The American economy is completely underpinned by the petrodollar. Completely. 
Why is the US dollar backed by Saudi oil? In exchange for the oil producing countries only accept... This is the bit to the first question, so I'll read them in order. Um, where am I? Oh, yeah. So who came up with the petrodollar? The petrodollar was started by the United States in an agreement with Saudi Arabia in the 1970s with the intent of standardizing oil sales and purchases in US dollars. Oil sales and purchases. So it's not just oil sales. Once the petrodollar gets established, it becomes the thing, the thing that everybody wants. You say, I'm going to go and buy. Can I buy that? Uh, bucket of emeralds and I'll give you some um, Singaporean yen fuck off no thank you you'll have it in dollars please so this is nobody wants that they want the other right because it's underpinned it and it's it, it's 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 the world standard currency basically is what has happened and this all come off the back of the collapse the previous world standard currency was was the British was British sterling after World War II, Britain was basically bankrupted. This is what happened with the Suez Canal. It was the last... It's why um, Britain basically agreed to give up India after they had pillaged it for fucking hundreds of years, left it with nothing. They couldn't afford to fight anymore. There was no money. British uh, debt-to-GDP ratio... If I get this right, Jet, debt to GDP ratio was 240%. That means the, 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 D, the GDP, gross domestic product, annual, whatever it was, it was 240% debt. Gross domestic product, 240% debt. So twice plus 40% of whatever the Great Britain generated in a year was debt and America's headed that way this is this is the thing and this is the parallels that can be you can draw the parallels they're not at 240% yet but they're fucking getting there real fast so right straight off the point again so we know when the petrodollar was born this is the other important answer in exchange for oil producing countries only accepting dollars for oil the US would support regimes like Saudi Arabia Right? I'm going to read that again. In exchange for the oil-producing countries, OPEC, only accepting dollars for oil, the US would support regimes like Saudi Arabia. The important word there is support. Support. What does that mean? What does that support word mean? Military support. If you agree to do all your oil trades and use the US dollar to do it, we will give you the benefit of our military might. That's the support. That is why this current disaster unfolding in Yemen is happening.
This is why this is happening. Britain is supporting the Saudi regime with arms sales. Six billion a year, I think. BAE Systems. I read something the other day and it said if BAE Systems were forced to not send engineers and uh, engineers to Saudi to service the military equipment that they sell to the Saudi regime, the, the war in Yemen would end in a day. But why, why, why do they not do it? Six billion reasons why they don't do it. So, here we go, the rest of this. This tied the dollar to oil, giving it a de facto commodity backing. So you're going off the gold standard, where, you know, that thing that says, you know, it's, it used to say in your, on your, your banknote, you can bring your banknote to the bank and get for five pound banknote, you can get five pounds of gold. That's what that was. Um. So, that's why the banknote was accepted. It's easier to carry around pieces of paper than it was to carry around gold and silver. So you take that, and it was also a very banky thing. They were, I won't get into that. But you take that note, that banknote, it says on £5, as it does in the UK, there's £5, and you can go, I, I promise to give the bearer on exchange £5 of gold. So the bank had to have the gold to give it to you. You remember that the film um, "It's a Wonderful Life" when they go for the when they, when they, when they, they think that the, the the bank the credit union that they have there they they're running out of money so everyone goes on a run to the bank to get their money out that's called a bank run a run on a bank that happened in the nineteen twenties that was a part of what caused the 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 Great Depression because people started to panic and they they did a, a bank run so by then. Banks were able to leverage whatever they were holding, the, the, the currency, the, the gold and silver that they were holding, they were able to leverage that three, four, five, nine times. Now they can do it hundreds of times. In fact, I think thousands of times now. So the, 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 the actual value of that's on the paper balanced against the value of gold held in the bank is, is it's, they're not the same. They don't match up. So... Once the gold, the, the gold standard had started to become a problem, so it was actually President Nixon. So they decided then, as it says here, this tied the dollar to oil, giving it a de facto commodity backing. That's what gold used to be, the commodity backing the note. Now it's oil. So they've got the biggest oil producer has agreed to use their currency in exchange for military support which keeps the, the regime safe, and it has been safe ever, ever since then, keeping it as the dominant currency, the dominant world currency, uh, there we go, as close to a universal world currency as we've seen. So does that make sense? Is that is that sort of tying a few things together? Um, so I'm getting to my point, you know, I do have a point at the end of all of this. So um, here we go. Who is the number one oil producing currency? According to the most recent data, the top five oil producing nations are the US, Saudi Arabia, Russia, Canada, and China. Now, I don't think that the US oil, the US oil reserves are running out. And I also don't think it's a 
particular type of crude, it requires a lot of processing. I think the Saudi oil is better quality. And that's... Um, I think the Ven- I think that's why they've got such a fucking hard on for Venezuela as well because their oil is very good quality. I could be wrong about that, but um, who is in OPEC? OPEC is the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. OPEC, O P E C. It was founded in Baghdad, Iraq, with the signing of agreement in September 1960 by five countries, namely the Islamic Republic of Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela. What currency does China use to buy oil? China uses the, the yuan, which is its own currency. Uh, as a part of its efforts to make current its currency tradable across the world, but they haven't made a dent in the dollar's dominance of the oil market. Now, that's, that leads me to my next thing, right? So... You know what OPEC is? You know what the petrodollar is? Okay? You know how important it is to the entire American economy? No petrodollar, no America. Simple as that. It's end of fucking story. Now, one of the things that blew my mind over the course of well, there's so many things actually when you think about it really that would blow your mind over the course of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But this was one of the ones and it it was before the invasion. Now, I, I told you on Monday, Germany gets 45% of its natural gas from Russia. Europe gets 20% of its natural gas from Russia. They have a pipeline called Nord Stream and that's the pipeline that provides the gas to Europe, okay? Germany decided that it wanted more Russian natural gas because the other biggest supplier of natural gas is, who do you think? Correct, America, the USA. But the American natural gas is more expensive because it has to be put into ships and sailed across the ocean. Put into then it's hooked up the, the, the pipelines and it's sent out across Europe at that point. So that makes it more expensive. Now, Germany decided that it wanted to build a pipeline between Russia and Germany and they called it Nord Stream 2. And they built it. And it cost $20 billion. Uh, Gazprom, the US, or the Russian uh, petro giant, paid $5 billion of it, and the German taxpayer paid the other $15 billion. Now, this was always seen as a threat to the American hegemony. And, you know, America doesn't like this. America will react badly to all these things. But this is the thing that blew my fucking mind. America was always trying to get Germany to shut this pipeline down or to stop doing this. And they refused. They just refused. They said, "No, no, we're do, we're doing this. This is it's 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 go. This pipeline is built. It is ready to be inaugurated. It hasn't been inaugurated, right? So just before 
Russia invaded Ukraine. Here's a report from The Hill, which is a, an online publication, an American online publication. 23rd of February. This is before the, the invasion, right? President Biden announced on Wednesday in Washington sanctions against the company behind a controversial Russian natural gas pipeline in response to Moscow's decisions to send... Sorry, it was obviously after. I got got my things mixed up there. Um, In response to Moscow's decision to send troops into eastern Ukraine, President Biden announced that Nord Stream 2 AG, the parent company of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and its corporate officers, these uh, their sanctions have been applied against them and they're shutting the, they're shutting the pipeline down before it's even opened. So, uh, the pipeline was completely built and awaiting regulatory review. In recent weeks, Biden has promised to help to halt Nord Stream 2 pipeline in the event of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has stopped short of explicitly promising to block the pipeline in appearance at a White House at the White House earlier this month. So Biden announced that the pipeline was shut down from Washington. Right? As I said earlier on, the gas and oil is still being produced. But where is it going? It's going to the rest of the world that wants it. Countries that are industrialising are still industrialising. They need the energy. And there's plenty of clients out there for this. Right? So, Russia then get kicked out of. So that's that's that. So you've got the, the petrodollar, okay? You've got the Nord Stream 2 pipeline which was a threat to the U.S. hegemon. Okay. And this is the the next thing. A part of the sanctions on Russia was Russia was going to be, is, has been kicked out of the international SWIFT system. Okay. So SWIFT is the, is the globally used Money transfer markets. It's Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. That's what it's an acronym for. Okay. It's actually run out of Belgium. Didn't know that. But because the world's currency is dollars, you understand? Who gets to call the shots when it comes to accessibility and access to the SWIFT system. Again, the US. So the US in the in the raft of sanctions against Russia has kicked Russia out of the SWIFT system. Now that should be a death blow. You think about it, but here we go. Now, this is from a Chinese website, so it is going to be a wee bit Chinese 
oriented, which is fair enough. If you read a Russian thing, it'll be a wee bit Russian way. If you read a, 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 a US one, of which I've just read you a bit from the hill, it'll be very US-centric and sympathetic. So this is this is very similar. So if anybody says to me, oh, that's Chinese propaganda, you go fuck off. So, SIPs, Chinese, or China's swift equivalent, or SIPs, C-I-P-S, or the Cross-Border Interbank Payment System, seen as the Chinese equivalent of the globally used SWIFT system, has become a buzzword in the domestic capital market and related industries. This is an internal Chinese domestic capital market. It's a Chinese capital market. Shares of the Chinese SIPs-related firms covering payment, finance, and tech industries surged 20 to 30% in trading over the past two days, following a Western move to ban certain Russian banks from SWIFT. This follows Moscow's decision to attack Ukraine. Local firms are now, pay, now talking about how to improve and develop SIPs payment services. Now, China's been working on this for about 10 years, I believe, which will boost the internationalization of the Chinese yuan and help companies do business overseas. Now, do you remember what I said a second ago? Uh, answer to this question. Does China trade? What currency does China use to buy oil? China introduced yuan-priced oil contracts in 2018 as part of its efforts to make its currency tradable across the world. But they haven't made a dent in the dollar's dominance of the oil market. Remember I read that out? So, that's what this is. China's use of... Uh, greater use of China's SIPs instead of Belgium-based SWIFT payment system is quite possible amid the SWIFT ban. But analysis said that other payment systems, including those developed by China, Europe and Russia, can't replace SWIFT, which accounts for more than 80% of international transactions. SWIFT's dominance is unshakable for now. And alternative solutions need to be further improved in terms of financial risks. User habits and international rules, says Dong Yi. An analysis with Goi Tai Yuan. Nan, I'm not even... Yan Securities. Okay. Excuse me if I fucking mangled that, which I know I did. But the SWIFT ban on Russia may boost the development of non-US dollars and non-SWIFT transactions, including, including SIPs, and may also stimulate E-Yuan. Yuan is the Chinese currency, by the way. China's official digital currency. China's official... I didn't know China had an official digital currency. E-Yuan. I'm going to fucking buy some of that. I've never done the digital currency thing, have you? I think I would like maybe you know if you want to buy one you may may as well buy a Chinese one. So, so so there we go. Uh, By February, SIPs had covered twelve hundred and eighty institutions in one hundred and three countries and regions. Okay, boost for SIPs, SIPs. So yeah, so that's all fair enough. That that's nothing, nothing. I wouldn't really point at any of that and go, it's all, um, it's propaganda. It looks good. So, here, right, now, are you with me? Are you still with me? I know. And you know, it's complicated. It's fucking right, it's complicated. It's supposed to be complicated. They deliberately make this complicated so you won't pay attention. So here we go. Recap. Russia invades Ukraine. 
America imposes sanctions, shuts down the Nord 2 Stream pipeline, which is a direct threat, direct threat to the European markets for the US gas and oil producing companies. Okay. President Biden announces the shutdown of Nord Stream 2, which is very uh, very peculiar, don't you find? It wasn't the German Chancellor Schultz that announced it, or Schultz. It was President Biden. The German taxpayer has funneled $15 billion of its own, 15, was it euro or dollars? I'm not sure, probably euro, of its own money into this pipeline in order to bring more of the cheaper option to its country from Europe. And President Biden gets to announce that as if it's a big fucking success, which it is. So why does he do it in Washington? Schultz goes, right, I'm not fucking doing this. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. I'm not announcing it. So Biden gets to stand up in Washington. Bada bang, bada boom. Announces the shutdown of the pipeline. And this is a great boon. This is a feather in his cap to the people that own him, which is his fucking donors and owners. The big companies. And Biden is not in charge of shit. Right? None of them are. They do what they're told. So, I, I again, I fucking went off. The, I went off on one of my recap. I'm going to recap. Russia invades Ukraine. Americans announce... Sanctions on Russia kicks kick uh, kick them out of the banking system. So China has, by the way, China hasn't now Russia is using the SIP system. So the entire Russian economy that needs to is going through SIPs. So this is a further boost to SIPs. Okay, the Chinese alternative to SWIFT, right? To shut down the oil pipeline, Nord Stream 2, in order to give the the, 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 the American military-industrial complex flooding arms into Ukraine to turn it into a fucking Ukrainian, uh, Afghani dust bowl in the middle of Europe, supported by European countries, which is the thing that is blowing my fucking mind. I get that, that you're a bunch of fucking racists. It's okay if you can do it over there. It's not going to come back and impact you, but you doing that in Europe is going to come back and impact Everybody. This is insane. So, here we are. This, where where have we ended up? What has all the manoeuvrings, what has all the manoeuvrings of the US, of the British, of various European interests, of the gas and oil companies, of the military industrial complex, of the stock market people, of the Wall Street people, what is all their manoeuvrings? Where has it brought them? To this headline, Wall Street Journal, March 15th, 2022. Saudi Arabia considers accepting yuan instead of dollars for Chinese oil sales. Boom. This is fucking massive. I mean massive. This is the biggest fucking headline imaginable. Saudi Arabia considers accepting yuan instead of dollars 
for Chinese oil sales. After all I've just told you, do you understand now how important that headline is, right? You get that now, don't you? Saudi Arabia is in active talks with Beijing to price some of its oil sales to China in Yuan. People familiar with the matter said a move would dent that would dent the US dollar's dominance of the global petrol petroleum market and another shift by the world's top crude exporter towards Asia. The talks with China over yuan priced oil contracts have been off and on for six years but have accelerated this year as the Saudis have grown increasingly unhappy with the decades-old US security commitments to defend the kingdom, the people said. Now, that bit I'm not sure about, but uh, yeah, the, the Saudis are angry over... This is the Wall Street Journal. The Saudis are angry over the US's lack of support for their intervention in the Yemen civil war and over the Biden administration's attempt to strike a deal with Iran over its nuclear program. Saudi officials have said they were shocked by the precipitous U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan last year. Well, I understand that. China buys more than 25% of the oil that Saudi Arabia exports. If priced in yuan, those sales would boost the standing of China's currency. The Saudis are also considering including yuan-denominated futures contracts known as the petro-yuan in the pricing model of Saudi Arabian oil company known as Aramico. Aramico, you know that, you've seen that. It'd be a pr profound shift for Saudi Arabia to price even some of its roughly 6.2 million barrels a day of crude exports in anything other than dollars. The majority of global oil sales, around 80%, are done in dollars, and the Saudis have traded oil exclusively in dollars since 1974 in a deal with the Nixon administration that included security guarantees for the kingdom. China introduced yuan-priced oil contracts in 2018, remember I told you that a minute ago, right? As a part of its efforts to make its currency tradable across the world, but they haven't made a dent in the dollar's dominance of the oil market. For China, using dollars has become a hazard highlighted by U.S. sanctions on Iran over its nuclear program and on Russia in response to the Ukraine invasion. China has stepped up its courtship of the Saudi Kingdom. In recent years, China has helped Saudi Arabia build its own ballistic missiles, consulted on a nuclear program, and begun investing in Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's pet projects, such as NEOM a futuristic new city. Saudi Arabia has invited Chinese President Xi Jinping to visit later this year. Meanwhile, the Saudi relationship with the US has deteriorated under President Biden, who said in the 2020 campaign that the kingdom should be a pariah for the killing of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. Prince Mohammed, who US intelligence authorities say ordered Khashoggi's killing, refused to sit in on a call between Mr. Biden and Saudi ruler King Salman last month. It also comes as the U.S. economic relationship with the Saudis is diminishing. The U.S. is now among the top oil producers in the world. It once imported 
two, millions of bar- two million barrels of Saudi crude a day in the early 1990s. But those numbers have fallen to less than 500,000 barrels a day in December 2021, according to the U.S. Energy, Energy Administration and Information Administration. Sorry, that's right. I forgot about that. And they're getting it from the tar sands and the fr- very, very dirty oil. I mean, oil's dirty anyway, but it's the worst, worst of the worst. And that's what they're doing in America. They're destroying their own. Well, they're all destroying. And those big oil spills that happened in the Gulf of Mexico and all that, that's all that shit. So, by contrast, China's oil imp- Oil imports have swelled over the last three decades, in line with its expanding expanding economy. Saudi Arabia was China's top crude supplier in 21, selling 1.76 million barrels a day, versus the US's 500,000 barrels a day. That's a massive difference. Followed by Russia, 1.6 million barrels a day. So China's getting 1.7... 76 million barrels from Saudi, Saudi Saudi Arabia and 1.6 from Russia a day, million barrels a day. According to data from China's General Administration of Incomes, the dynamics have dramatically changed. The US relationship with Saudis has changed. China is the world's biggest crude importer and are offering many lucrative incentives to the kingdom, said a Saudi official familiar with the talks. Unbelievable. So this that is what this is all about. Right? That's literally what this is all about. This is all about oil and flooding taxpayers' money. Well, well I'll, I'll do another one about the military-industrial complex, what they're getting out of this. But this is about gas and oil. And America's hegemony is weakening. Its grip is weakening. As the debt-to-GDP ratio widens, like it did with the British Empire back in the 19, early, the beginning of the, the 20th century, into the, to, by the mid-20th century, it was over. After a couple of disastrous world wars, America took over. It became a dominant world currency, world power, and then that was completely underpinned by the petrodollar. But over the course of time, I think America's influence, although it may have been attractive at one time, at the it, America has shown itself to be a completely untrustworthy partner in any sense of the word. There's not there's there's not an agreement that hasn't broken. It invades countries at whim, on on a whim, it seems. There's not a, it goes on about a, a Russia committing elect, uh, uh, election interference in its own ele- in, in its elections, which I, I don't know, I, I really don't know, but I'd like to see the list of countries that America hasn't interfered in their elections. As it would be, sh- it would be a shorter read than the ones that they have. They're going giving off about Russia invading Ukraine again, which is fucking disgusting, and I hope. They pay the price for that. But they're currently occupying one third of Syria. By the way, the third of Syria that just happens to contain the oil fields as well. So, yeah, okay. And and it's also the, the where they grow their wheat. And they're committing, again, contributing to food shortages. 
um, committing sanctions, sanctions all over the world, and it's all over the world to countries that just won't do what they say. So at the beginning, it would have been a, an attractive thing to try and get involved in that because you could see the huge growth that the US was experiencing. You go, oh, I don't know that shit. That's not what's happening anymore. And it's even so bad that it's not, it's not even happening. It's not that it can't happen for people outside of the country. It can't happen for people inside of the country. If you're aware of what's going on in America, there's a thing called the quitdemic, I think they call it. People just aren't going to work. Because they're not getting paid. And like, Fuck this. I'm going to work myself to death for you, you fucking prick. No restaurants and... Can't get staff. Things like that. So, if you can't offer the benefits of the product of labor to the people of your own country, if you can't offer the benefit of the product of your economic system to the people of your own country, then what is the point? How do you expect people to buy into it? Well, through propaganda is the answer. We are the greatest country in the world. I can't afford shit. Be happy, own nothing. All that shit. That's that's going on for real. You'll be a renter for the rest of your life. And... Uh, I think I said last week that the, the Soviet Union collapsed in 1997. It was 1990. Um, when the Soviet Union collapsed, the annual wage of the average Russian citizen was $600. Two years ago, it was like $26,000. That's some difference. Those people are enjoying the benefit of their economy. There's a clear rise there. You can look at China and say the same thing. They've been fucking, they've, they've exploded out of the water. America's sort of going the other way. Now, they're still making lots of money, but it's not going anywhere near the people. And you can see there's loads of graphs explaining this. You can see this. You don't even, I'm sure you can Google it. It's easy to see. Cost of living versus, you know, wages, wage increases and all the rest of it. It's just been going down, 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 down. So, so there we go. I'm going to finish that. Did X? I know that's very complicated. I, I know it, it's it's a fucking. It really is. It's it's a lot. And I think about this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. I know it's fucking sad. So uh, that's where we are. I think to summit to 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 give this to to put a bow on this. I think what's going to happen is that. The Ukrainian people are ultimately going to be the ones to pay the price of this. America is going to, and NATO is going to allow, they're going to fight Russia to the last Ukrainian. And there's a lot of people going to be embarrassed about the support that they're giving certain high-profile characters that, that are that have appeared throughout of all of this. Um. Again, I'll pro- I'll be doing more stories or more uh, pods on this subject and, and on Ukraine, obviously because it's not going away. Um, I think what's ultimately what's going to happen is this is going to start a snowball effect of a loss of influence and hegemon. As I said right at the very beginning, when you hear this, the world stands with Ukraine. No, the world does not stand with Ukraine. Africa doesn't stand with Ukraine. 
South America, Central America, Asia are not standing with Ukraine. No, they're not standing with Russia either. But they're not standing with Ukraine. This just this blanket. There's a lot of lot of ins and a lot of outs. I stand with the people of Ukraine because it's the people, the ordinary man and woman like you and me that's going to pay the price of this. Always is. And that's who I stand with. That's who gets my pity. The governments that are involved and the interests that are involved, death to them all because they're all evil. And again, unfortunately, it's the poor Ukrainian people that are going to pay the price. And I want to finish this segment by saying to you the same thing that I said right at the very start. I am not apologizing for Putin. All I'm giving you is context of what's going on in the wider picture. The knock-on effects of decisions that are being made. And these decisions are being made by the kings of the, of the world. And they can't see... I... They can't see that the, what, what, the potential for the effect. China has been trying to get a tradable yuan f- for for years. And America doesn't seem to... The, the, the people that are making the decisions don't seem to have the foresight to think that if we keep doing these things, we're going to drive people towards this. So who's going to be trading in the SIP system? Russia, obviously. China, obviously. Iran, Venezuela, Syria, uh, uh, Nicaragua, Cuba. There's half a dozen African countries involved. There's uh, two or three other South American countries now looking at it. So, you know, now that's not nowhere near as big as the the SWIFT system, but it's going to be a, it's a significant, you know. You'll feel the weight of that in your hand. And America doesn't seem... And the interests that on, on, in, in the, the current hegemon don't seem to understand that all these decisions that are being made and all these, all these things that are being done... I, I don't... Silly words. These things that are being done. But that there could possibly be knock-on effects that could possibly come back and bite you in the ass. Of course they could. And they will. They really will. And they are. And they were always going to. If you kept on behaving the way you did. Illegal wars and invading countries for clearly for their fucking resources. America didn't go into fucking Afghanistan for to, to kill Osama bin Laden. The Taliban offered Osama bin Laden up before America invaded. All they said to them was, well, give us evidence that he did it. I'm not saying that he didn't do it. I don't know if he did it or not. America says, no, we're invading, that's it, it's over. We've decided. So it wasn't about that. The decision to invade Iraq for weapons of mass destruction, which didn't exist. Accusing people of um, Saddam Hussein of gassing his own people, which is fucking hilarious, considering that that's what they're now trying to... They're now throwing that at Russia. With these chemical uh, bio-laboratories that they've said are in, that the Russians are trying to get. Contradiction. These are, America has 20 
biolabs in Ukraine that they're funding, and they're worried that the Russians would. And they said that they're benign. They're not weapon. They're they're, they're not weaponized biolabs. No. Is it? But we're worried that the Americans might get them, or the Russians might get them. So well, if they're, they're not weaponizable, why are you worried that the Russians are going to get them? These two things don't match up. You know, it, Libya, again, another, that was just to get their natural resources, to get, you know, turn the most, uh, the biggest GDP and the biggest quality of life any of any country in Africa, turn it into a state with open, markets, open air slave markets. You can't keep doing these things. Eventually, these things are going to come back to bite you. You're going to, you're going to get a boomerang effect here, people. And this was it. I think this was it. And this pushing Russia and China together is insane. This is exactly what Henry Kissinger and all those ghouls they would be, well, he's not dead yet. He should be. He must be a million years old. But if he was dead, he'd be rolling in his grave. What? This is exactly what they were trying to stop. But the current administrations are trying to do it. It's not that they're trying to do it, but they're, they're clearing a path. The off-ramp for Russia is into China's arms, of which they have, they have a close relationship anyway. They're neighbours after all. We were saying that about last week about your neighbours, about the importance of being, you know, friendly with your neighbour. That's the thing that you have to do, you know. That's not just a that's not just a, a platitude. That's not just about being polite. You have to do it. you have to do it with your neighbour, literally your next door neighbour, and countries have to do it with their neighbours. It's the way it is. So anyway, so there we go. I hope I've cleared that up. Or give you, I cleared it up, confused the shit out of you. But I hope I've given you a little insight into what is going on. And these things are going on. So, I'm going to finish. That's the thing. I didn't do the culture last week, so I'm going to give you the culture. Alright, can we do that? So let's, a wee bit of theme tune, and then I'll give you some culture. So, the culture, I'm going to give you, saying it is St. Patrick's Day, the story of St. Patrick, and I'm going to read it from uh, a great Instagram account called Tanistry, T-A-N-I-S-T-R-Y, and he's he's a guy called Andrew, I'm not sure of his name, but... um, I'm going to give you the the potted history that he has on his... If you have an Instagram account, you should go and follow him immediately, if not sooner. And uh, I'm going to give you this little potted history that he's put up on his page. It's really, really good. And so I'm going to read it out to you. I wish I had some traditional Irish music to play in the background. That would be kind of twee and cute, but I'm not allowed to. Otherwise, I'll get a copyright strike. So, so thank you to Andrew from Tonistry for... I haven't asked him, I'm sure he doesn't mind, but thank you for doing this. Uh, The story of St. Patrick, the history behind one of the most widely celebrated national holidays. So, St. Patrick is a holiday, St. Patrick's Day is a holiday named after the patron saint of Ireland, Patrick. It is one of the most widely celebrated national holidays on earth, I would say the, 
well, I would say thee by other countries, so other people would celebrate the national holiday of our country. Anyway. Um, however, the story of St. Patrick's life is something still somewhat shrouded in mystery. History and mythology blend together in the story of how one born into unfortunate cir- circumstances came to be perhaps the most famous figure in Irish history. Let's dive into this story to better understand the history behind St. Patrick's Day. Despite typically being associated with Ireland, Patrick was born in somewhere in Roman Britain, potentially in what is now modern Wales. As a teenager, he was taken captive by pirates from Ireland who regularly raided the coast of Britain for slaves. During his several years of captivity, he worked as a shepherd and became increasingly immersed in his Christian beliefs. He eventually fled his captors, managing to return to Britain with a reluctant captain and crew. They arrived but found themselves lost in the wilderness. Patrick, instructing them to put their faith in God, was close to collapsing from hunger when the group encountered a boar. Patrick's assurances, paired with the good fortune, encouraged him and his followers onwards. A few years, arri- a few years after arriving home, Patrick stated that he saw a vision of a man named Victor- Victoricus, who handed him a letter that read, The Voice of the Irish. Patrick envisaged the Irish faithful calling out to him, asking him to bring his faith back to Ireland. Patrick travelled to continental Europe to study in what is now France, eventually being ordained as a priest. He returned to Ireland, supposedly, supposedly landing somewhere in County Wicklow, after an initially ill reception, he began to gather support as he spread the word of Christianity throughout Ireland. St. Patrick is said to have baptised thousands of people, rapidly spreading Christianity and giving it firm roots on the island of Ireland. He refused to accept gifts or payments from kings and was unfazed by run-ins with hostile warriors or chiefs. The success of Patrick's holy mission to Ireland was incomprehensible in its vastness. It's thought that St. Patrick eventually retired to Saul in modern County Down. The year of his death varies, but is thought to have been on the 17th of March sometime in the mid-5th century. I did not know that that was why we celebrate that day. There you go. Popular stories exist surrounding St. Patrick's time in Ireland. Some suggest he was he chased the snakes out of Ireland, referring to the pagan Irish. In fact, there were already many Christians in Ireland prior to Patrick's arrival. Other stories include Patrick's walking stick growing into a tree, or what he explained the concept, or when he explained the concept of the Holy Trinity using an Irish shamrock. Mythology and history blend together during this time, when historic individuals are often reported as having met with mytho- mythological heroes to have partaken in the supernatural. Despite his popular title of St. Patrick, Patrick was never canonized as a saint by a pope of the Catholic Church. Despite this, he is revered as a saint almost universally and is included in all lists of saints. He is the patron saint of Ireland. St. Patrick's Day is a national holiday in the Republic of Ireland. However, his story and his festivities in his name and his name are celebrated all over the world every year. And there we go. Isn't that great? Me, personally, I wish he hadn't fucking bothered. I'd like a wee bit more pagan about us. Um, I think it's better, but never mind. For me, the three C's are the things, the, the, the curse of humanity, and particularly the curse of Ireland. 
is uh, Christianity, colonialism, and capitalism. But uh, and one of the things that I, I do particularly dislike about the Christian influence on the Irish nation uh, mythology is the Christianization of the Irish mythological story. So, so Saint Bridget, Saint Bridget was Bridget was an Irish goddess. She wasn't a a Christian saint, but she was like Liban. Liban is one of my favourites. She's a mermaid that lives here under Loch Ness, where I live. And um, she is, uh, they Christianized her. So she, you know, she, she was one of the fairy people, one of the Tehudadanan. And in return for getting into heaven, which meant she had to give up her, him, her, her immortality, she became mortal and died. And then when she died, she could go, her soul could ascend to heaven. And that those stories were told to people by these monks, these these um, um, lunatics, and they would go out and tell people these stories, and and because people believed in the fairies, and and but the fairies were stories that tied us to nature, and they tied us more to the place, give you a sense of place. Ah, it's it's long and complicated and beautiful, and as you know, I love it, and I get into it quite a lot. So there you go. That's the story of St Patrick. Uh, St. Patrick's Day, I've got a pint of Guinness here with me, and a wee dark and stormy, as is my want. I'm going to have one more, maybe two, and then go to bed, because I have to get up for work early in the morning. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, share, subscribe. I hope you learned something. Whenever I started this thing on Monday about, you know, what was going on in Ukraine, um, I wanted to give you context and those contactual ripples continue to move and there will be more of this and these things do happen and they will affect your life. This is the point. If they were just happening away invisibly and you wouldn't, you didn't know anything about them, like what's going on in, in behind the screen of your phone, the, the electronics doing things, you, you, don't know, you don't know and you don't care. This is not that. This is as, it is as complicated. It's much more vile often enough but it will affect you, and it does affect you. So just to let you know, that's what this is all about. This is why I'm trying to talk about these things, because not too many people are. So I can't be accused of trying to, you know, go for the Stephen Nolan mob. (laughs) As if. So there we go. I'm out. So we'll see you next week for one. Don't forget, next Friday is the 25th. And I'm going to be doing my live stream live on YouTube at 8pm. I'm going to be singing a lot of songs. Give you a new exclusive. That song I wrote for Sarah O'Neill. And uh, it's called Breaking to the Sun is the name of the song. It's a beautiful little thing. And uh, yeah, so there we we are. And and obviously there's going to be a, a video exclusive as well. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, this is if you're listening to this on the podcast, which most of, most of you do, uh, please like, share, subscribe. Please pull it up on your social media. Tell people about it, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Bye bye. <laughs>